Welcome back to another world audiobook. So happy to have you here. I'm so happy to be here. Uh, you wouldn't know this because I recorded ahead and had a bunch of episodes scheduled, but I've been gone on a long trip. So I'm just back, back to my recording studio, back to uh, finishing up Emma here. We've got like three more chapters. So today and then two more. And uh, I'm hoping to have those two last chapters as one bigger episode. So we'll, uh, we'll shoot for that, but I had to get this episode out so that I didn't miss uh, here this week. So thank you guys for listening. Thank you so much for, t- uh, uh, sharing the podcast with the other people that might enjoy a free audiobook. I also want to mention that we are uh, almost done with this book, and I want to hear from you what book you want to hear next. I've had some good suggestions already so far, and uh, some cool options on the table. Uh, there's always just uh, not enough time, so <laughs> I'm really excited though to get into the next audiobook after this one is all wrapped up. So uh, get in touch with me, let me know, all the contact info is in the show notes. And now without further ado, I give you the next chapter of Emma. Chapter 17 Mrs. Weston's friends were all made happy by her safety, and if the satisfaction of her well-doing could be increased to Emma, it was by knowing her to be the mother of a little girl. She had been decided in wishing for a Miss Weston. She would not acknowledge that it was with any view of making a match for her hereafter with either of Isabella's sons, but she was convinced that her daughter would suit both father and mother best. It would be a great comfort to Mr. Weston, as he grew older, and even Mr. Weston might be growing older ten years hence, to have his fireside enlivened by the sports and the nonsense, the freaks and the fancies of a child never banished from home. And Mrs. Weston, no one could doubt that her daughter would be most to her. And it would be quite a pity that anyone who so well knew how to teach should not have their powers in exercise again. "'She has had the advantage, you know, of practising on me,' she continued. "'Like Le Baron de Almon on Le Comtesse de Ostalis, in Madame de Genlis's Adelaide and Theodore, and we shall now see her own little Adelaide educated on a more perfect plan.' "'That is,' replied Mr. Knightley, "'she will indulge her even more than she did you, and believe that she does not indulge her at all.' It will be the only difference. Poor child, cried Emma. At any rate, what will become of her? Nothing very bad. The fate of thousands. She will be disagreeable in infancy, and correct herself as she grows older. I am losing all my bitterness against spoilt children, my dearest Emma. I, who am owing all my happiness to you, would not it be horrible ingratitude in me to be severe on them?' Emma laughed and replied, "'But I had the assistance of all your endeavours to counteract the indulgence of other people. I doubt whether my own sense would have corrected me without it.' "'Do you? I have no doubt. Nature gave you understanding. Miss Taylor gave you principles. You must have done well. My interference was quite as likely to do harm as good. It was very natural for you to say, "'What right has he to lecture me?' and I am afraid very natural for you to feel that it was done in a disagreeable manner. I do not believe I did you any good. The good was all to myself by making you an object of the tenderest affection to me. I could not think about you so much without doting on you, faults and all, and by dint of fancying so many errors, have been in love with you ever since you were thirteen at least. I am sure you were of use to me, cried Emma. I am very often influenced rightly by you, oftener than I would own at the time. I am very sure you did me good, 
and if poor little Anna Weston is to be spoiled, it will be the greatest humanity in you to do as much for her as you have done for me, except falling in love with her when she is thirteen. How often, when you were a girl, have you said to me with one of your saucy looks, Mr. Knightley, I'm going to do so-and-so, Papa says I may, or I have Miss Taylor's leave, something which you knew I did not approve. In such cases my interference was giving you two bad feelings instead of one. What an amiable creature I was! No wonder you should hold my speeches in such affectionate remembrance. Mr. Knightley, you always called me Mr. Knightley, and from habit it has not so very formal a sound, and yet it is formal. I want you to call me something else, but I do not know what. I remember once calling you George, in one of my amiable fits about ten years ago. I did it because I thought it would offend you, but as you made no objection, I never did it again. And cannot you call me George now? Impossible! I can never call you anything but Mr. Knightley. I will not promise even to equal the elegant terseness of Mrs. Elton by calling you Mr. K., but I will promise, she added presently, laughing and blushing. I will promise to call you once by your Christian name. I do not say when, but perhaps you may guess where. In the building in which N takes M for better, for worse. Emma grieved that she could not be more openly just to one important service which his better sense would have rendered her, to the advice which would have saved her from the worst of all her womanly follies, her willful intimacy with Harriet Smith. But it was too tender a subject. She could not enter on it. Harriet was very seldom mentioned between them. This, on his side, might merely proceed from her not being thought of, but Emma was rather inclined to attribute it to delicacy, and a suspicion, from some appearances, that their friendship were declining. She was aware herself that, parting under any other circumstances, they certainly should have corresponded more, and that her intelligence would not have rested, as it now almost wholly did, on Isabella's letters. He might observe that it was so. The pain of being obliged to practice concealment towards him was very little inferior to the pain of having made Harriet unhappy. Isabella sent quite as good an account of her visitor as could be expected. On her first arrival she had thought her out of spirits, which appeared perfectly natural, as there was a dentist to be consulted. But, since that business had been over, she did not appear to find Harriet different from what she had known her before. Isabella, to be sure, was no very quick observer, yet if Harriet had not been equal to playing with the children, it would not have escaped her. Emma's comforts and hopes were most agreeably carried on by Harriet's being to stay longer. Her fortnight was likely to be a month at least. Mr. and Mrs. John Knightley were to come down in August, and she was invited to remain till they could bring her back. "'John does not even mention your friend,' said Mr. Knightley. "'Here is his answer, if you like to see it.' It was the answer to the communication of his intended marriage. Emma accepted it with a very eager hand, with an impatience all alive to know what he would say about it, and not at all checked by hearing that her friend was unmentioned. "'John enters like a brother into my happiness.' continued Mr. Knightley. But he is no complimenter, and though I well know him to have likewise a most brotherly affection for you, he is so far from making flourishes that any other young woman might think him rather cool in her praise. 
but I'm not afraid of your seeing what he writes. He writes like a sensible man, replied Emma when she had read the letter. I honour his sincerity. It is very plain that he considers the good fortune of the engagement as all on my side, but that he is not without hope of my growing in time as worthy of your affection as you think me already. Had he said anything to bear a different construction, I should not have believed him. My Emma, he means no such thing. He only means— He and I should differ very little in our estimation of the two, interrupted she with a sort of serious smile. Much less, perhaps, than he is aware of, if we could enter without ceremony or reserve on the subject. Emma, my dear Emma. Oh, she cried with more thorough gaiety. If you fancy your brother does not do me justice, only wait till my dear father is in on the secret, and hear his opinion. Depend upon it, he will be much farther from doing you justice. He will think all the happiness, all the advantage, on your side of the question, all the merit on mine. I wish I may not sink into poor Emma with him at once. His tender compassion towards oppressed worth can go no farther. Ah, he cried. I wish your father might be half as easily convinced as John will be, of our having every right that equal worth can give to be happy together. I am amused by one part of John's letter. Did you notice it? Where he says that my information did not take him wholly by surprise, that he was rather in expectation of hearing something of the kind. If I understand your brother, he only means so far as your having some thoughts of marrying. He had no idea of me. He seems perfectly unprepared for that. Yes, yes, but I'm amused that he should have seen so far into my feelings. What has he been judging by? I'm not conscious of any difference in my spirits or conversation that could prepare him at this time for my marrying any more than at another. But it was so, I suppose. I dare say there was a difference when I was staying with him the other day. I believe I did not play with the children quite so much as usual— I remember one evening the poor boy saying, Uncle seems always tired now. The time was coming when the news must spread farther, and other persons' reception of it tried. As soon as Mrs. Weston was sufficiently recovered to admit Mr. Woodhouse's visits, Emma, having it in view that her gentle reasonings should be employed in the cause, resolved at first to announce it at home, and then at Randall's. But how to break it to her father at last? She had bound herself to do it, in such an hour of Mr. Knightley's absence, or when it came to the point her heart would have failed her, and she must have put it off. But Mr. Knightley was to come at such a time, and follow up the beginning she was to make. She was forced to speak, and to speak cheerfully, too. She must not make it a more decided subject of misery to him, by a melancholy tone herself. She must not appear to think it a misfortune— with all the spirit she could command, she prepared him first for something strange, and then, in a few words, said that, if his consent and approbation could be obtained, which, she trusted, would be attended with no difficulty, since it was a plan to promote the happiness of all, she and Mr. Knightley meant to marry. By which means Hartfield would receive the constant addition of that person's company whom she knew he loved, next to his daughters and Mrs. Weston, best in the world. Poor man, it was at first a considerable shock to him, and he tried earnestly to dissuade her from it. She was reminded more than once of having always said she would never marry, and assured that it would be a great deal better for her to remain single. 
and told of poor Isabella and poor Miss Taylor. But it would not do. Emma hung about him affectionately and smiled and said it must be so, and that he must not class her with Isabella and Mrs. Weston, whose marriages taking them from Hartfield had indeed made a melancholy change. But she was not going from Hartfield. She should be always there. She was introducing no change in their numbers or their comforts, but for the better. And she was very sure that he would be a great deal the happier for having Mr. Knightley always at hand, when he were once got used to the idea. Did he not love Mr. Knightley very much? He would not deny that he did, she was sure. Whom did he ever want to consult on business but Mr. Knightley? Who was so useful to him, who so ready to write his letters, who so glad to assist him? who so cheerful, so attentive, so attached to him. Would not he like to have him always on the spot? Yes, that was all very true. Mr. Knightley could not be there too often. He should be glad to see him every day. But they did see him every day as it was. Why could not they go on as they had done? Mr. Woodhouse could not be soon reconciled, but the worst was overcome. The idea was given. Time and continual repetition must do the rest. To Emma's entreaties and assurances succeeded Mr. Knightley's, whose fond praise of her gave the subject even a kind of welcome, and he was soon used to be talked to by each on every fair occasion. They had all the assistance which Isabella could give by letters of the strongest approbation, and Mrs. Weston was ready, on the first meeting, to consider the subject in the most serviceable light— first as a settled, and secondly as a good one. Well aware of the nearly equal importance of the two recommendations to Mr. Woodhouse's mind, it was agreed upon as what was to be, and everybody by whom he was used to be guided, assuring him that it would be for his happiness, and having some feelings himself which almost admitted it, he began to think that some time or other, in another year or two perhaps, it might not be so very bad if the marriage did take place. Mrs. Weston was acting no part, feigning no feelings in all that she said to him in favour of the event. She had been extremely surprised, never more so, than when Emma first opened the affair to her but she saw it in only increase of happiness to all, and had no scruple in urging him to the utmost. She had such regard for Mr. Knightley as to think he deserved even her dearest Emma. And it was, in every respect, so proper, suitable, and unexceptionable a connection, and, in one respect, one point of the highest importance, so peculiarly eligible, so singularly fortunate, that now it seemed as if Emma could not safely have attached herself to any other creature, and that she had herself been the stupidest of beings in not having thought of it, and wished it long ago. How very few of those men in rank of life to address Emma would have renounced their own home for Hartfield, and who but Mr. Knightley could know and bear with Mr. Woodhouse, so as to make such an arrangement desirable? The difficulty of disposing of poor Mr. Woodhouse had been always felt in her husband's plans, and her own, for a marriage between Frank and Emma. How to settle the claims of Enscombe and Hartfield had been a continual impediment, less acknowledged by Mr. Weston than by herself, but even he had never been able to finish the subject better than by saying, "'Those matters will take care of themselves. The young people will find a way.' But here there was nothing to be shifted off in a wild speculation on the future. It was all right, all open, all equal. No sacrifice on any side worth the name. 
It was a union of the highest promise of felicity in itself, and without one real, rational difficulty to oppose or delay it. Mrs. Weston, with her baby on her knee, indulging in such reflections as these, was one of the happiest women in the world. If anything could increase her delight, it was perceiving that the baby would soon have outgrown its first set of caps. The news was universally a surprise wherever it spread, and Mr. Weston had his five minutes' share of it, but five minutes were enough to familiarize the idea to his quickness of mind. He saw the advantages of the match, and rejoiced in them with all the constancy of his wife, but the wonder of it was very soon nothing, and by the end of an hour he was not far from believing that he had always foreseen it. "'It is to be a secret, I conclude,' said he. "'These matters are always a secret, till it is found out that everybody knows them. Only let me be told when I may speak out. I wonder whether Jane has any suspicion.' He went to Highbury the next morning, and satisfied himself on that point. He told her the news. Was not she like a daughter, his eldest daughter? He must tell her, and, Miss Bates being present, it passed, of course, to Mrs. Cole, Mrs. Perry, and Mrs. Elton immediately afterwards. It was no more than the principals were prepared for. They had calculated from the time of its being known at Randall's how soon it would be over Highbury and were thinking of themselves as the evening wonder in many a family circle with great sagacity. In general, it was a very well-approved match. Some might think him, and others might think her the most in luck. One said might recommend their all removing to Dornwell, and leaving Hartfield for the John Knightleys. And another might predict disagreements among their servants. But yet, upon the whole, there was no serious objection raised, except in one habitation, the vicarage. There the surprise was not softened by any satisfaction. Mr. Elton cared little about it, compared with his wife. He only hoped, "'The young lady's pride would now be contented,' and supposed, "'She had always meant to catch nightly if she could.' And on the point of living in Hartfield could daringly exclaim, "'Rather he than I.' But Mrs. Elton was very much discomposed indeed." "'Poor Knightley, poor fellow! Sad business for him!' She was extremely concerned, for, though very eccentric, he had a thousand good qualities. How could he be so taken in? Did not think him at all in love, not in the least. Poor Knightley! There would be an end of all pleasant intercourse with him. How happy he had been to come and dine with them whenever they asked him! But that would be all over now. Poor fellow!' No more exploring parties to Donwell made for her. Oh, no. There would be a Mrs. Knightley to throw cold water on everything. Extremely disagreeable. But she was not at all sorry that she had abused the housekeeper the other day. Shocking plan, living together. It would never do. She knew a family near Maple Grove who had tried it, and been obliged to separate before the end of the first quarter. Alrighty, hope you guys have a wonderful week. Thanks again for listening. I'm really looking forward to starting a new book. I think I mentioned that. But I really am because there's just uh, so many awesome books out there. Uh, we've already done uh, so many books. There are over 250 episodes on this podcast. If you haven't, go check out the backlist. There are tons and tons of episodes for you to catch up on. So go check that out. If you like free audiobooks, you are definitely in the right place. Alright, thanks guys for listening. and We'll talk to you next week. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. 
In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.